Welcome back to Ghostly Talk. This is Scott L. This is Amber. And on this edition of Ghostly Talk, we've brought back Keith Clark and Tim Woolworth to discuss the... Reformation. Yes. Resurrection. Yes. <laughs> Resurrection of Metascience. Metascience Foundation <laughs> by George Meek from back in the day. And, and I think I think you have a soft spot for this stuff because back in the day... Totally, yeah. Uh, you had the episodes about Spiricom and was it Dr. Stephen Rourke? Well, yeah, Mark Macy, Dr. Stephen Macy. Rourke. Well, those two actually were two opposing forces. Ah, yes. Okay. Um, but, you know, I mean, whatever you believe about this stuff, I I remember hearing, and, I, and I'll say this, I remember hearing Spiricom for the first time on the Art Bell show. Mm-hmm. Art Bell was talking about it. Who talked about it on Art Bell? I, I don't, you know, it was just one of those things where I just heard it. Oh, okay. It wasn't... And I was like really intrigued by it, but I think it was just him playing the, the recordings. Oh, okay. Um, so and, you know, you know, in memory may not serve me right because it could have been coast to coast with George Norrie. Sure. Uh, it was such a long time ago, but I remember being totally just like, "Wait, he's talking to a dead person on this machine? What, what the hell's going on here?" Right. I must learn more. Yeah, I must learn more. And that led us in the old days of ghostly talk down some pretty interesting pathways. Um, some. I mean, most of them were really amazing, and some they got kind of intense. There was some debate. There still is a lot of debate about this stuff to this day. Uh, but you're right. I do have a soft spot about it because I think that MetaScience Foundation was something that was very important. And now we have two gentlemen, actually three gentlemen. Two of yeah. them are on the phone with us uh, for this show discussing bringing this back. And 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 it's going to be a big – this is not a simple little task. It's gonna no, it's be, a massive task. Yeah, with all of the – digital stuff they have that they want to preserve the scanning and uploading and yeah yeah you know combining it into some website that's searchable and yeah uh, it's modernizing all of this old data yeah i mean it's it's trying to take all this stuff quantize it into bits and bytes basically and make it into something that can be used for today's for for what people how people consume information today Mm -hmm. right uh it's a mammoth task but these guys are starting on that. And just to me, when you hear these conversations, and we've had them separately with, with Tim yeah. and Keith separately, and even just hearing what they're going through just to acquire this stuff, traveling, you name it, all types of, of things they are doing to try to acquire just this stuff to try to get it out there for people. It, it's it's amazing. So we talk a lot about, well, pretty, pretty much completely about the Metascience Foundation, um, some history on that. Yeah. And the future. Yep. And Tim touches on some ITC and EVP because he's that he's the go-to guy for that. He is. Yeah. And um, it's cool. Yeah. It was. It's fun. I love talking to these guys. Yeah. Enjoy the show. Oh, God, it's corny. <laughs> I know, but we got Keith and Tim here. 
Hi, guys. Uh, Tim Woolworth and Keith Clark, um, and who are bringing back the MetaScience Foundation, which we are super excited about. Um, and I know you guys want to talk about what's been going on, reestablishing that, everything that's been going on. So tell us about what's been going on. Well, yeah, you guys are reestablishing this yes. thing, like you said. And j- just f- from my perspective on this, before we get deep into this thing, is, you know, we were studying the meta-science stuff, you know, 15, 16 years ago, and we were super fascinated by it. So to see this kind of surface again, care of you guys, this is really exciting. So, yeah, can you tell us all about, you know, reestablishing the Meta-Science Foundation? Well, I, th- I think the bulk of it is because of Keith's undying effort towards preservation of ITC. Yeah. Um, he saw an op- he saw an opportunity and he went with it. So Keith, uh, lead with this one because you know we wouldn't be doing this if it weren't for you, buddy. Appreciate that, Tim. And before we begin, I'd like to go ahead and mention our other cohort, Jeremy Michael Bloxham. He's not on the call, but he certainly does a lot behind the scenes. Cool. So um, all three of us, we like ITC. I mean, I think it's kind of obvious, and we've been around. I'm I'm about 14 years now or so, and I imagine Tim, you're probably longer than that, probably, right? No, in ITC, um, actually doing research and whatnot, 11 years in ITC. Okay, so uh, we came in. Well, us, we'll call it last generation because now we're we're now we're in 2020, and we were doing experiments. And Mark Macy and Rolf Erhardt had created the WorldITC.org website. Oh yeah. Uh, pretty much, I was on the wave that rode it in when the new when the movie White Noise came out about electronic voice phenomena. The movie wasn't actually about electronic voice phenomena, but uh, it was based on reality. It was based on you know EVP that you can record. Yeah. And on the bonus DVD, it was actually Tom and Lisa Butler from what was the AA EVP at the time. So, the the essence is, we were interested in it. We like the history. We research on our own. And after a period of growth, we began to realize that once you're in something for a while, um, if you see a need for something, you're kind of the responsibility has to fall somewhere. And so we decided to take on that responsibility. And Michael, I mean, Jeremy, and two, actually three other people, I did Drum Medium started with four people. We just put it out there that we wanted to preserve things. What we were finding was that websites were disappearing. Yeah. Um, books were disappearing. People would do their life's work and they'd have a website, but then when they transitioned or maybe they changed their mind or things moved on, yeah. all that information went bye-bye. And so we started to say, this, this looks like a problem. And back then we'd probably say, okay, we're leaked at all the leaders. You know, they're, they're writing their articles. They're doing what they were doing. And then one day came and we finally realized that we we should probably be doing that and that we're since we're in the thick of it it's basically our human responsibility to ensure that that history lives on that was very wordy (laughs) (laughs) make that shorter (laughs) back to you tim (laughs) well most most importantly um meta science foundation it encompassed everything that we love it dealt with the persistence of consciousness it dealt with itc it dealt with 
um, life after death and where we go when we die. These are all the undying questions that we have in George Meek, the founder of the MetaScience Foundation. And for those who aren't familiar in your audience, uh, George was a very wealthy guy. He was an industrialist who had several patents to his name. Mm -hmm. And when he was about 60, he retired just to study spiritual truths and he traveled the world trying to observe spiritual healings and other various phenomena. Eventually, he came to the realization that there were energies out there that he just couldn't explain that influenced us in our lives and our afterlives. So he formed the MetaScience Foundation in 1979 to study these particular things. And he published a lot. Um, there was a, a journal that was put out. He published, I believe it was three different books and countless pamphlets. And it encompassed everything that we love. And then this opportunity came to basically re-embrace MetaScience Foundation, bring all of those old values and experimentation into the modern age. And when Keith started throwing phone calls and emails out there to the people who, who, who still had the rights to MetaScience Foundation, it was a long process that Keith can go into. But uh, when we finally got the keys to the kingdom and the boxes of materials it was just like that oh, experience <laughs> and it, it still is when we when we look at you know the materials that are in our possession right now that will be made public in short order i mean it's going to be a monumental task to digitize everything that we have but it's going to change everything about modern research because i look at all of these people in the paranormal field today who don't know what the progenitors of the field have done. They don't know the foundational knowledge that's already out there, already published, already has been recorded because nobody has brought it into the digital age. And that is what our goal is, to bring all of this old material to everybody so they can learn. And I think it's this, for me, I don't know how Keith feels because as you guys know, I've been... I've, all over the paranormal map, um, cut my teeth in ITC and I delve in so many other topics and, uh, talk on various topics at conferences. But for me, MetaScience foundation feels like it's my life's work just coming to this one nexus point. And I am just so blessed that, uh, Keith brought me in for a particular, uh, a journey and uh keith you got to explain the the hoops that you went through to get the keys to sure thanks for that intro tim that was good <laughs> I'm trying, to, I'm trying to keep things simple as tim said it was a long process and most everything i do is including emails letters and things that i say so um what happened was the vision of wanting to preserve that information just kind of came we didn't really say what we wanted to preserve. We just put on the website we would like to preserve. And then we started saying, hey, let's preserve. And all of a sudden, boxes started arriving. Um, I had a, a random person. I actually had a call from somebody that was a pioneer. And they had somebody contact them and say, hey, I got, I got all this stuff. Do you want it? That person said no. Next thing you know, it was hand-delivered to me uh, in Florida by my brother. 
who has nothing to do with any of this. It was it was all synch uh, synchronicity, and that was four or five boxes in which we found among, among other things uh, the Project St. Peter that we're doing the radio shows on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, there, yeah. and there's only one copy of that that we know of so far. And then at the same time, I came to find out th that Tim and Jeremy were both also receiving Metascience uh, material as well as other historical information that it was collectively just being dispersed. You know, and it's one of those things where you look back and you say, wow, you know, you know be careful what you ask for. If, if you ask for it and you get it, then <laughs> don't be yeah. surprised. We didn't know it was going to, the Metascience Foundation, that was going to be as massive as, as it was. So... I got in contact with the the last um, CEO president of Metascience Foundation, Thomas Pratt, and we came to discover that there was actually a lot of material, more material than we thought even existed uh, in storage. It had been there for approximately 20 years. So we began we began talking, and there was also some material that had left Metascience and had gone off somewhere else. We recovered that also. That was an archive of somewhere around, it's a couple gigs, probably a couple hundred files, audio files that were digitized. Uh, so now, this past December, um, we met with Mr. Thomas Pratt and we acquired the materials and the materials were signed over to us. And then the th us three gentlemen, Timothy, Tim. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, I'm not woke, awake yet. <laughs> Jer Jeremy and myself. The I don't know who said let's do let's recreate meta science first. I don't think it was me, but when it was spoken out loud, it just seemed natural, and it seemed that that's what we needed to do. You know, well, one of the things, if I may, point this out, uh, and Tim, you said this also uh, a couple minutes ago, is that you know, there. There's this foundation of material that's that's out there, right? It's already been done. People have done this work. I think a lot of people in this field, especially ITC, while I think it's great that people are putting their minds to things and they're trying to, you know, maybe create new devices or have have new thoughts on this field. It maybe the fact they may be kind of recreating the, you know, reinventing the wheel again, right? Yeah. To me, yeah, I agree completely. There are. Um, for example, you know, people, uh, let's, let's look at EVP. Everyone knows what EVP is. You know, you put down a recorder, you ask some questions, you play it back, and hey, lo and behold, you may get a, a voice that wasn't in the room with you when you were asking the question. Now, everybody, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the people in the field today. And a lot of these people who are out there as ghost hunters or are labeling themselves paranormal researchers don't realize the work that had been put in by people like Radova, Cass, Estep, etc. Most of them don't realize that, you know, white noise has been a foundational part of EVP since, well, Jurgensen recorded it in 59. Um, and when people were using cassettes and reel to reels, they would use a little bit of radio static in the background to create that burble, that uh, 
that baseline for transformation EVP. Yeah. And I look at the, I look at our digital age and everybody's like, Oh, well I can record EVP just fine on my digital recorder and there's no white noise. And they don't realize that there's noise inside of the integrated circuits on their recorder that's being filtered out. So it's already there. And I'm looking today and I'm seeing people who are creating ghost boxes or things to filter EVP or ghost boxes or applications who are making proclamations that you don't need noise to record with when they're using inherently noisy devices. And it's just a simple thing like that, that, you know, we've got 60 years of evidence for stuff like this and people are just ignoring it and they're shooting themselves in the foot by trying to filter a lot of this stuff out when it's already there and they can't filter it. Yeah. It's they're trying to reinvent the wheel. They're making their work more harder on themselves. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's what my thought was simply just that it's, it's there. The information's there. It's as simple as that. It is. Yeah. It's it's readily available. I mean, Keith, myself, you guys, uh, Jeremy, and a lot of other people who are knowledgeable in the field have looked for this information. Whereas, unfortunately, we're forced. Uh, there's an entire generation of people out there, of people who are interested in the paranormal, who have gotten their information from television. Oh God. <laughs> we will try not to get on that right, soapbox the, on this yeah. episode. No, I know, well, it, but it's, yeah, but it's true. It's true, be, though. Like using an iPhone and not knowing who Steve Jobs was. Right. Yeah. 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 All right, but it's true. I I agree 100 percent with that. That I think there are. I, for example, I was speaking with someone this week who is obsessed with one of the shows. We'll just leave it at that, right? And we were having a conversation about paranormal stuff in all of the arguments and or discussion points that he was presenting in the in the discussion were all based on what the TV shows have told him, right? And you know, I don't want to be that person to like bat someone down. He he clearly loves the show and he and he's interested in this stuff, right? But I'm I have to be the one and I know that all of us on the call here uh, have 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 experience in this where you have to go. Okay, here are the million reasons why maybe you should maybe get a book <laughs> or something like that, <laughs> as opposed to. And it's not saying that people are dull or anything like that. It's just it's just we know that that those shows don't carry a lot of water. And there's a plethora of stuff out there, like what we're talking about right now with Meta Science Foundation, that well, it's going to be made available. You know, all of it's going to be made available. So I mean. Yeah, that's kind of scary. But yeah, a lot of people, I think you're right, Tim. I think a lot of people, that's where they get their experience from and their inspiration to maybe study yeah. this stuff, right? Um, for better or for worse on that, I, I would say. So uh, let's talk about experimentation, though, a little bit here. As far as, I mean, as far as the, the, the body of stuff that you guys have, how many boxes is it? I, I thought, Keith, I thought you may have mentioned that, how many boxes you guys actually have of this stuff. Is, is, there, is there a rough number or is it just kind of all over the place right now? I'd say approximately two to 300 hours of cassettes wow. digitized and not actually more than that. I'm sorry. Yeah. Cause I've five, got all 500. Got, <laughs> yeah. I've got all the E-step stuff as well, which is easily 200 cassettes in and of itself. Now, now yeah, Tim, there, I don't mean to interrupt you guys, but Tim was, was Sarah S-step, was, was she part of Meta Science? 
No, she wasn't. She was the founder of the American Association okay, of MVP. Okay. She was a colleague of George Meek and a bunch of the other uh, pioneers of ITC. Okay. okay. But but in our efforts for preservation, um, we're getting boxes from people who weren't directly affiliated with gotcha. MetaScience. And their work will also be integrated in the preservation efforts. Like, for example, uh, one of the surprise things we got was a box of Leslie Flint original recordings on Reel to Reel. Wow. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Do you have a real? Are you able to digitize those? We have a friend in Los Angeles who's a colleague of ours whose job it is to digitize old cassettes and reel to reels. Wow. He does it for a living. I mean, all of these things are just kind of falling, falling into place like dominoes for us. Yeah. The, there is a website now, too, we want to point out uh, metasciencefoundation.com is out there. I'm actually looking at it right now, which is it's a super cool website. I, I, I like all the cassette tapes when you I open know, it I know, I like those too. I was I looking that. at that. Uh, but this is brand new, isn't it, Keith? It is. That's a one-page temporary website. We're actually trying to figure out how to combine all of, all of our efforts because between the lot of us, we've got, we're split off in 15 directions. Um, so we have iDigital Medium, ITC Bridge, which is an active, Tim's Got Paranormal Study, ITC Voices, and we're trying to figure out the best way, which is and TDC researchers, yeah, yes, TDC researchers, and we're trying to figure out how to merge all that in, together. That's going to take a while, a little bit. <laughs> oh yeah, I would think yeah. a little bit. <laughs> and now going back to experimentation, though, I mean, as far as that applies here, I mean, a lot of the materials that that are going to be presented down the road here. These are going to be more or less the, the well, I mean, it's going to be documentation of the experimentation. Am I correct? Well, there's different facets of it. One is, for example, as you guys just talked to, talked about, I received an email a couple of minutes ago from somebody you know, on the Internet saying, hey, I got the Spiritcom tones uh, in my Spiritcom Bible, but I went to do an experiment and I realized that they don't match. And so that's one aspect of it is sharing historical information and then describing, and then actually reverse engineering it. We've reverse engineered Spiritcom, and we're still using it today in different aspects. So do you guys hope to take all of this information that George Meek put out there, that the Metascience Foundation put out there, and do you hope to, on top of preserving the history, do you hope to build upon it in some way, like maybe to continue on his experiments? Or I know when we've been talking about Project St. Peter, um, little weird concepts come in about like, oh, okay, what if we tried that? Or what if this was really for real? Um, what if they were onto something? Like, do you have a kind of a future uh, like vision for that kind of thing? We do, and I could tell you that it's already alive. It's happening underground. There, there's a private group of people that uh, communicate securely. We represent at least two countries so far, and this has been happening since November of last year. And the amount of things that has occurred in this group is crazy, and I mean crazy. Like, you know, I consider myself a technical person, but when I'm next to these people, I don't feel that smart. <laughs> so we're talking about they've built in the last six months. They've built at least. 10 to 20 pieces of hardware oh, and wow. tested concepts. We've also built at least 10 to 15 scripts. And I was told to give the description of, <clears throat> we are using various digital signal processing algorithms to get ex to extract voice from what otherwise sounds like voice. So just to give you guys a hint of what that means, 
on one hand, we're creating computer software code. People in spirit are putting their faces in that code. They're also forming voices inside the computer, inside the memory buffer. And their new, current, cutting-edge techniques are being used to study the noise and adapt to the noise. And um, that's the best description I can give. But we have actually created some software out of that that we intend to give to the public. We're just trying to get all our ducks in a row. But uh, we feel that the state it's in right now, even though we don't publish much of it, we sense, hear, and feel um, that we're extremely connected, and this is a very good time. Uh, we're all sensitive in one way or another, but when you get a bunch of people that collaborate together, some really crazy things happen. You know, we hope that there will be a forum again one day as soon as the technology catches up to our current technology. So the answer is yes. I can't get into too many specifics, right. but yeah. it's, hap it's happening, and it's... It's amazing. That's so exciting. I know we've had That's this cool. in conversations past. We've talked about uh, the idea of people who have crossed over, who, who are who are over there, that they are just as busy as we are on this side, or you guys are on this side, um, trying to make a connection. Also, follow what I'm saying. Um, mm -hmm. You you mentioned something, Keith, about. The, these these let's call them people. They were people at one time. Why aren't they people? I just just have a good name for it. Um, they're inserting themselves into the computer code, and I know I don't want to get. I know we can only get so technical here. Uh, that to me is a because what 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 it seems like to me is that you're actually having a, a different type of force or energy that actually is is melding itself with a machine, so to say. You follow what I'm saying? It's like evolution. Yeah. That's yeah. correct. Uh, yeah. I mean, the essence of what Metascience Foundation learned and discovered and knew back in the 80s was that the experimenter's personal energy contact field was part of the experiment. So you've got three aspects. You've got the people in spirit, you've got the experimenter here, and then you have the energy field that you've they've both created through desire, and that's how they link up. That's, I'm, I'm not going to say it's always going to be required because it's looking like that's not true. However, there is a tie-in with the experimenter's own evolution, energy field. We've noticed some strange things when we sing. I was just looking at a letter before we came online today with Bill O'Neill, the medium that was operating Spiritcom, mm -hmm. and met George Neal, or introduced himself to George Neal back in 1973. He claims that in his fish aquarium, when he ran certain experiments, uh, faces, hands, arms, and legs, and body parts materialized inside his fish tank. Wow. So he got rid of the fish and kept doing the experiment. Okay. But the point behind that is, and you've probably also heard of uh, Marcello Bacci, the Italian mm -hmm. gentleman that uh, received voices on his radio for decades upon decades. Uh, he's now transitioned, but there were also aspects of physical mediumship in his work um, things would materialize and appear around him and were recorded on film so the part of the lesson that we're trying to get across is people you know technology is moving forward we're becoming a little more lazy we want our information a little bit faster and so to give people history we've got to repackage it differently uh, make sure it's easy to access and generally, 
teach people that they have energy too and that we can shape energy and we can use it for communication. I mean, that's the essence of it. And to, uh, to bookend that, one of the key things that George Meek believed and was one of the foundational things of MetaScience Foundation is that we are energetic bodies. I mean, when, we, when Keith's talking about energy, I mean, that's one of these woo-woo terms that's just been thrown out in the new age. But what I personally believe one of my main areas of study is consciousness. I personally believe that our consciousness is divorced from our physical body. We are a receiver um, of consciousness, of thought on a different plane. Now, Keith mentioned a contact field um, very briefly. A contact field is a concept that was um, brought into play by Ernst Senkowski. And the contact field basically is the ex experimenter, the experimenter's consciousness. But it's not only that, it's every spirit energy, every consciousness out there that that experimenters come into contact with. So like Scott, Amber, you've been on a bunch of ghost hunts. Oh, yeah. Now, every place that you've been at every place that you've ghost hunted you've come into contact with consciousness whether you recorded it or not they become part of your conscious your contact field your family your friends who've passed over on the other side your ancestors they're part of your contact field every one of us who are in this field who reaches out to the other side our contact field is huge and every time we try to experiment we can draw from that particular uh, group. And so the, the longer that you've been in this, and Keith has been in ITC a long time, I've been in ITC a long time, I think because we get great communication because our contact fields are large. We got in early on um, before a lot of other people out there were doing ITC. Before ITC was a household term, mm -hmm. we were experimenting. We introduced ourselves to those on the other side that um, – that are trying to work with us in direct answer to your question, Scott. Yes, they are working from the other side. I've gotten communication from Jurgensen. It's on YouTube now where he calls the communication I was doing not bad directly in his words. And mm. I put, I put an EVP up of him speaking using a, and in that, in the EVP where he's speaking, he uses a couple of the same consonants in order and you can compare them. They sound the, the exact same and i sent that clip over to the vtf which is an evp group in germany that, that jurgensen was a member of until he died in in the 80s and one of the board members said yeah that is jurgensen's voice that's come through i've also recorded radova uh frank sumption recorded radova radova has come through via phone calls with mark macy george meek sarah Eastep, and others from the other side. Macy, um, Mark Macy, who I know you guys interviewed many, many moons ago. Oh yeah. Um, Mark, Ma Mark Macy has said that, uh, his communications have shown that on the other side, they are building equipment to interface with our equipment on this side to build the bridge. Um, so we have all these ITC pioneers on the other side working while we have experimental groups and ITC researchers on this side. And when the equipment matches up, you get communication like the TimeStream group is a great example. The communication from TimeStream is worldwide and those who 
worked with TimeStream for years are getting great communication because you're starting to build these bridges to the other side. And that's what's most exciting because we can look at the old research from O'Neill and Meek and the others who were part of MetaScience Foundation and try to re-implement those channels that they were using to communicate with the other side. You're talking about bridging uh, these two these two systems as far as the technology that's being worked on. That, to me, seems like, well, coming from a technical point, you know, aspect of what, what I do professionally, uh, just trying to link up systems here on our level of existence, it can be a nightmare at times. I am very curious, and I don't even know if this question can be answered, uh, you know, I'm wondering what the glue is going to be here to make this thing work, to link, you know, because we're not talking about just taking having two computers talk to each other now. We're talking about having com- two two uh, different existences. Two different. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> two different existences. <laughs> talk. That's a that's an IT nightmare right yeah, there. Yeah, we can't just USB into that. No, no. It's, I'd like to oh. I'd like to take that one. Okay, oh, yeah. go ahead. Great. So, so part of the message that we would like to extend to people that we have learned is the importance of the energy aspect. Now, we could publish all this information. We could publish diagrams, schematics, and say, here's what you got to do. You build what this guy did 20 years ago, and you might have success. But but most people that see that, they're going to say, well, I'm not technical, so that means there's nothing I can do. You know, there's there's no room for me in this field. But if we teach them it's an energy aspect and that anybody that focuses on that desire to connect and he evolves and develops themselves as a person – they they can form it without any technical equipment. They can form a contact field with zero technical equipment. It's been done before. It has different names. So we're trying to inspire people to look a little further than what's on the surface. It's not just about the technical things. The technical things are merely the tools that we use and interface through. We're just trying to find easier ways that will meet uh, current demands. We know that everybody wants to have an app in their hand that, that does the same thing. And that's the direction we're headed in. Yeah, and yeah. I think that, oh, go ahead, and, Tim. And you know, what we found with all forms of spirit communication, no matter what you're working with, whether it's Ouija, whether it's dowsing, whether it's ITC, EVP, machine learning, whatever you dedicate yourself to, If you dedicate yourself energetically and thoughtfully towards spirit communication, spirit finds a way. It seems like they can adapt on the other side to our means of trying to communicate with them. And I mean, you look at one of the first ghost sites that was on the web, Coffee Pot Ghost. There was a lady named Charlie who would just simply record her percolator every morning and she would invariably get EVP off of her percolator because the spirit knew that is how she was capable of communicating with them. And we found, you know, when ghost boxes first came out, there wasn't much in the way of communication, but then it started to pop because they adapted on the other side. And there's a lot of different theories on how they're doing this. Um, There's basically transform EVP, which I intimated at earlier, where basically they're going to manipulate the noise in an environment to the ambient noise in an environment to communicate with you. There is a digital ITC where somehow they are 
parting their communication. They are rearranging digital bits to communicate with us visually and audibly. Uh, there's and there's other possible theories out there that we just can't even wrangle right now. Like they can just imprint their consciousness on various things without us even knowing it. You know, that's how we're getting uh, video ITC and we're getting um, liquid ITC, like a fish tank where you can actually see things showing up in agitated water. This is video um, moving liquid ITC, steam ITC, uh, ITC that's been, that's using ultrasonic waves these are all things that have just really come to pop over the last 10 years where there's certain researchers who are just dedicating their, themselves to it and they're getting amazing results um but they try other forms of itc and not so much it's it's a way that spirit just somehow has to interface with whatever we're putting out there and they find a way to communicate with us and they have since the days of shaman when they would speak to spirit at waterfall or around a crackling fire. It's uh, we, what Keith is doing right now with the experiment group is he's implementing machine learning and software. And we already know that digital bits can be manipulated. It's been proven via applications. It's um, yeah, we're it, the, the future is so damn exciting. And I think that, you know, it's that that's the glue the fact that if you just have to put yourself out there energetically, like Keith said, yeah. you have to stick to a methodology and spirit is going to find a way. And a little bit of ectoplasm helps to glue it all together. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so true. one thing that you just, uh, remind, I wonder about this, Tim, is a lot of times there's people from back in the day when they started researching ghost stuff and EVP and, and they're like, analog, analog, use analog, you know, don't use this digital mm -hmm. stuff. But you're kind of saying like, no, they can manipulate either form. Absolutely. You've recorded EVP on digital. No problem. Yeah. yeah. They've recorded EVP has been recorded on analog. No problem. Did you know that Alexander McRae did an experiment? I can't remember if it was Cambridge or Oxford where he took a, a, a cassette record, a, a standard cassette recorder, you know, one of those ones that had a built in microphone. Um, what he did is he removed the microphone mechanism, took the diaphragm out entirely and put it in a cage built by Michael Faraday. So there was no microphone whatsoever. And the voice is still in printed themselves on the tape oh that's weird huh. well you know and and I, I can honestly say i can back you up on that too i think one of the most compelling things we ever recorded or i should say we were there for the recording of was done on a digital recorder and that was like four no that was 16 years ago now uh it was a digital recorder i know there's been a lot of people that that like to make sport out of saying that that digital recordings are not the way to go um I've never seen a problem with that myself either. I don't see why you couldn't use any type of medium. If you're putting yourself out there, like we're saying, energetically, right? I, it seems like anything that could be recorded to or be imprinted on could be imprinted on if you have the right energy, it seems like to me. Am I correct on that? I think you're absolutely correct. And, you know, the software that's been put out by Martin from Extreme Senses or Echovox or even your digital recorder. I've recorded so many Class A EVPs on digital recorders. It's insane. Uh, anybody who is using the old analog versus digital argument is basically bringing back the CD versus cassette analog <laughs> CD versus cassette argument from 25 years ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean... 
that's the glue, though. I, and I like that idea. It, it's interesting to hear that. I mean, and I think the field, and I, I've been finding myself having this conversation more and more on this show and with people outside of the show where, you know, the technical aspect, and we've had this, we've talked about the technical stuff a lot when it comes to people working in the field and whatever it may be. And I I know myself, I passed that up a long time ago. I'm the one that just kind of wants to like experience things, man, you know, stuff like that, kind of be the drooling hippie guy and maybe bring a camera, maybe bring a recorder. Uh, but really to me, it, it's about, you know, just having an, ex, you know, experiencing something myself and and again, by doing that, in order to do that, you have to put your energy out there. And it seems like that's applied here. I mean, there's obviously ITC, as we know, it's a technology-driven type field. But I think there is this heavy aspect that I'm learning about now that really is the, like we already said, more or less having the energy out there and creating something, creating a field, like we said. I think the, I think the more that I've researched, the longer I've been researching the paranormal and, and reading every book I can and all this junk and just being obsessed with it in general, the more consciousness plays a huge factor in everything, I think, on, on so many aspects yeah. and, and how we interact with um, that's what I was trying to say, too, okay. by the way. Oh, okay. All Consciousness. Right. Well, okay. That's the word. The C word. Consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just think that the, it's key to a lot of stuff um, and how we perceive things and how you know things get sent out there and uh, just all of that. Well, consciousness is the key to all paranormal research. And everybody overlooks the giant C word because one, um, Scott, you were saying you want to experience things subjectively. You just want to have the experience when you're out there now. Guess what? Your experience is very subjective. It is through the lens of consciousness. We... The, we all observe the same stimuli, but we all process it in different ways. That proves that we all have individualistic consciousness. Now, consciousness, not only is it important in ITC when we're dealing with discarnate entities trying to communicate with us, but we can go back through the annals of history um, and consciousness has just been one of those integral parts that is just so overlooked. Yeah. Um, for example, um, Okay, let's let's look at a couple examples. Remote viewing, what is that? It's projection of consciousness. Transmediumship, what is it? It's a consciousness overtaking your physical body that is not your own consciousness. Interestingly enough, there was a study at, uh, I think it was University of Colorado, where they dealt with transmediumship. And basically what they did is working with various transmediums. They were able, these mediums were able to discern certain things about People who'd passed on, they had no idea about until they walked into the lab and they were just basically given a name and they had to say what they died of, what age they were, what was their traits. And it was determined in a scientific peer-reviewed paper that their the transmediumship can um, allow for some unknown knowledge of the dead to come through. Another study that was done at the University of Pennsylvania, um, cartographers, uh, uh, cartomancy, excuse me, uh, automatic writing. What they did is uh, they took a bunch of automatic writers who have several different degrees of experience ranging from like 14 years to like 35 years. And those who practice every day, I'd pull those numbers out of my butt, but it was somewhere <laughs> around those years. It was a group in Brazil that, that, that was studied. And um, what they found was when they were doing the, when they were in the trance state doing automatic writing, 
rotating where another consciousness had overtaken their body. The frontal lobe, the area of our brain that is dedicated to communication. Uh, whenever somebody writes or speaks, the frontal lobe just pops on these uh, on their scans. What they found is the activity in the lobe actually reduced while they were in the automatic writing state and and the quality of the writing that came through was more complex and more nuanced than what the subject would write normally. So that is consciousness overtaking another consciousness. And this, again, was proven in a laboratory setting. The consciousness aspect is the most important aspect that we're dealing with. Uh, one of my key parts of my definition of ITC, which um, is one of my crowning achievements, I put this definition out there and it's it's expanded upon the definition of Senkowski and one of the key parts that I brought in is communication with a discarnate consciousness of an unknown origin because we simply know that we're communicating with consciousness of an unknown origin and that consciousness wants to communicate with us and that is the most important part of paranormal research is consciousness you're not dealing with some ghost that walks around going scooby-doo style no you're dealing with a consciousness that is not in a physical form it's it's consciousness to consciousness communication is what we're dealing with in all forms of paranormal research 100 percent. Yeah. i love that that's no. and that's a really awesome definition because um i don't know it just encompasses a lot well i mean it, i it makes me think about what a lot of people's motivations are for going into the field and studying and stuff like that. Um, I, I've said many times I, I had my reasons starting out, and it was to prove the existence of the afterlife. Yeah. That was our reason. That's novel. No one's ever tried that before. <laughs> Never. Right, yeah, well, and yeah, it's also a, it's a, it's a big sandwich to try to eat also. It, it, it's not going to happen, right? And It's a baconator. It's a baconator. <laughs> but, but, you know, as you go down this path and you grow and you learn, I mean, yeah, I've, my, my goals are different. You know, what, I, what I'm looking for now, right? Well, and the, uh, was your thought done? I'm sorry, I got excited there. Go ahead. You just made me think about one of my favorite questions I like to ask people, and this is for both uh, Tim and Keith. Since you guys got started in all of this many moons ago, how have your beliefs towards things changed? From the beginning to now, have you thrown things aside and, and gained new things? You know what I mean? I'm really curious about that, how that changes in people who have been researching this for a long time. Tim? Well, when I started out, I was, I'd, I'd had a lifetime of reading behind me. And I figured that, you know, I was just going to go out before I even got into ITC. And I was just going to, you know, talk to the ghost in this particular location because this particular ghost had died in this location and therefore it's stuck in this location and there's not a chance I could ever communicate with anything else. So I'm at an asylum. I'm obviously dealing with somebody who died of tuberculosis or wasn't clinically insane or whatever. What I've learned since going into ITC is one, you never know who or what you are communicating with at any given point in time, let alone the locus of the communication. I have gotten the same voices in four different countries communicating with me through ghost boxes and EVP. So don't ever think that you know who or what you're communicating with. You don't. The only thing you 
can do is you can recognize the voices um, and pay attention to the breadth of your work. Because, for example, I didn't even realize that I had a tech that was popping up in every session until three years of solid research. And then I just started to go back and listen, and I realized the same voice saying the same name over and over and over was in my communications. And I made that public knowledge, and guess what? A bunch of other people started to realize that the same person was communicating with them so don't ever think that you have all the answers because you're going to learn Mm -hmm. every damn day find out what you really gravitate towards and put that ahead of everything else so as a paranormal researcher i realized that ghost hunting wasn't for me because i don't want to go out and just talk to a bunch of random spirits it just doesn't work for me i'd rather do research at home where it's a controlled environment and i have a grasp of what's going to come through so so all of my all of my ghost hunting stuff from the past is just gaining dust and uh, I use it for conferences where I lead ghost hunts. That's the only time it's brought out anytime during the year. So in what I've learned and changed over all these years is just you don't know anything ever. Yeah. And anything and any given day you can record something that is going to completely and totally change the way that you view everything and that change for me happened when i recorded the voices of people who and i've spoke about this on your show before people that i that are known to me through various devices and then i realized that was my big shift it realized that you know consciousness is everywhere consciousness is key and we don't even know if we're speaking to the dead we can be speaking Speaking to people who are alive. More importantly, we could be manifesting our own communication. Uh, we don't even know if it's of a spiritual essence. There's, it's the every day that I'm in this, the more questions I have and the answers that I have, the question and answer pile is just the question pile is getting way higher and the answer pile is getting way smaller with every passing day. I think this is the only field that you experience that too, well, as far and, as. And- that that idea, I also tell people, that, I've said this many times, that this is the only field you can work in where you can be on the same playing field with someone who has 40 years of experience over you. I, I, and I believe that because I, I said this just last night to somebody. I'm like, I, I've, I have like, what, 22 years in this thing now. And I can honestly say I don't know any more now. I have experience, I think. But well, do I have answers? Sure, sure. no, but oh, I, I don't have anything. But I think I think that's like what Tim just said. He has more questions. Well, yeah, that's, I think, what, that's what I, yeah. I think exactly. for anyone that is curious about this and wants to consider themselves a researcher, I think that's the best way to be going. Like as you get, you know, the years go on, the more questions you have, you're going in the right direction. Because if you start saying, "Oh, I have answers," not questions. Then, unless you really, really did a good, like you figured something out, like cool, but it's then like you can, then you can prove, right? Sure, yeah. but I, I think that this field, anyone that's been in it for a long time, knows that just you become more. I get, I get more confused. <laughs> I don't even know where to begin. I get overwhelmed because I'll go down rabbit holes that I, I didn't even know existed, and then I find a handful of new books to explore and new researchers, and I'm just like, oh my god. Where do I go yeah, with the, this now? What? Oh God. That's overwhelming. It is overwhelming. The, the bibliography section of a book is just oh, it's, oh, it's the, the best. Oh, it's the best. <laughs> I love notes and sources. <laughs> <laughs> I know we've we've kind of 
touched on this a little bit here and there. But wait, wait, I, Keith needs to answer oh, that Oh, yeah, question. we got to let Keith. Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, you need to give me a time limit because I can go on and on and on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for me, I just got into it because I was curious. Yeah, yeah. And I began to feel voices in the radio. Uh, it turns out I, I might have been clairaudient back then and not even known. Even today, I still don't think I'm clairaudient, but sometimes I appear to be and sometimes I'm not. But uh, the real change was once I uh, started to relax. Because the first, you usually go through stages. The first is, is it real? The second is, oh my God, it's real. The third is, why doesn't everybody know about it? <laughs> and the yeah. fourth is a frustration phase. A lot of people don't make it past the frustration phase. Uh, phase. But once you become independent and you start to realize that a lot of the ideas that you get, they're not coming from you. You know, while it, you know some people are smart, they're technical, I began to find that if I just put a question out there and said, is this possible? And then implemented it, all of a sudden it would exist. And a good example of this is, this is a, a cool story, very short. Um, I have a, a person here who I go to for readings. I've documented all my readings and I've had readings for years. So I'm saying that I, I have readings with mediums and psych psychics that complement my own physical work and expression in ITC. He started talking about a certain kind of device about two years ago. First, I was like, eh, I'm not an electronics guy. I don't know how to build devices. It's just, you know, imagining stuff. And he kept coming back. Only this year, he drew it. I put it up here on my whiteboard. I decided to have a reading with just random people, like eBay. Uh, they didn't know who I was, didn't use my email address or anything like that. They gave me the reading, and they said, here, here's a drawing that I just drew. I don't know what it is. So I look at this drawing. Guess what it is? It matches the drawing that the other medium gave me. Oh. Oh. <laughs> and and nobody, nobody knows what the drawing is. They don't even know what it's about. Only me. And so it's things like that when you realize once you're open to it, you just say, here I am. I'm ready to work. They'll give you all kinds of ideas. And they're, you know, I'm, I'm a little more liberal than Tim, I think, as far as being practical and grounded. I tend to get way out there. So some, <laughs> sometimes I'm here in this reality. Yeah. Sometimes I'm only half here and all there. And all there is dreams and imagination and invention. And they just throw ideas through our heads. And we see that in the experiment group. These guys, they don't just say, hey, here's a great idea I came up with. They're just getting blasted every day with ideas. And then they implement some. And over time, you begin to see that it's actually it's a two-way working relationship. And so we're not doing experiments as an observer. We're doing them as co-creators. And so the way my life, my view has changed is um, I've also, one of the things I started to distance myself from preconceived notions of who these people are, like Tim just said. Mm -hmm. I don't know who the people are that I listen to. I know some names, but I don't know who they are, what they mean to me, if anything, where they are when they are. I just know that they are. And so that that was a challenge to kind of break away from what the norm is because everybody, ex there's a kind of this anticipation of being, if you explain something to somebody, they want to know what, you know, what it's similar to that they already know. So when I say, you know, we got streams and we listen and to people in spirit and we see them, it's super vague, but it's actually honest and it's the truth. There's people there 
they're smiling, so it looks to me like they want to communicate. I'm here, I'm smiling, and it's a two-way exchange of ideas using telepathy, channeling, intuition, all of your resources. And so what I've learned from this is that miracles are possible. There have been miracles, and there are miracles every day somewhere, and people can create miracles. So what I've learned is to not judge too quickly, which is hard for all of us at yeah. times. And to appreciate appreciate the human condition. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. Do you, do you guys think that there's anyone on the other side that actually are protesting <laughs> our <laughs> communication, like kind of jerks? Like they're like, no, like I don't know. And, and when when you're communicating, do you ever come across someone that's like it's the ethereal, mm -mm. the ethereal Lansing, Michigan? Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. That, that's, yeah. There you go. Um, actually, yeah, several times over, you know. I've I've had voices come through and say don't talk to him. Hmm. Um, there have been children who've come through, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but children are instantly stifled on the other side. They're typically not, not allowed to speak by some adult presence. There have been a few exceptions, such as schoolhouses, but other random places, the children seem to be protected. They're not allowed to communicate with us. And of course, there are those on the other side who just sit there and try to get us to stop communicating by um, th threats, by swearing, by you know, just basically belittling us entirely. Um, yeah, there. Yeah, I often say a holes in life, a holes in right. death. <laughs> there, there are plenty over there. Oh, I don't understand what the motivation for that would be, though. Why? Why would they not want? Why would there be people that don't want to communicate with the other side? It seems like I, I, I haven't heard of any protests. Well, maybe, maybe I have. I mean, some people I know where we're at right now, right where we're at talking. Uh, I know there's some people out there that they do have. They do say things. I've met people like, "Don't waste your time with crap like that." There, there's nothing. There, there's nothing out there. Stop doing that. Don't waste your time. So I wonder if it's the same attitude on the other side, right? Where well, yeah, a lot of those attitudes I think are going to carry over, and um, we can bring it back to Meek. Uh, Meek had a a famous chart that he posted that had several different layers, uh, energetic layers that we the soul goes goes through upon death and it's kind of like a revisioning of the different spheres that the theosophists were talking about a century well um three quarters of a century before meek um and that first sphere the near earth realm um that is a place where it's kind of like the equivalent of uh, purgatory for Catholics. Yeah. Um, it, it's that, it's that realm that you go into the near earth realm where if you, a lot of people say that it's a negative realm, it's the one that's the closest to our vibration. Once again, I'm throwing woo woo terms out there, but this is how <laughs> it's been described. Yeah. So dimensionally it's closest to our, um, electromagnetic vibrations. So when we, when we're able able to communicate we're typically a lot of the times we're communicating with this near earth realm and in this particular realm it, it's often been likened over the last century plus is a realm of healing it's where people who died tragic deaths go it's where suicides go it's where war victims go 
Um, it's also a place where murderers, rapists, pedophiles, they go as well, where they're just not en- energetically sound enough to heal enough to go to the next level where there's a little bit more peace, a little bit more vibration. Um, and in this near earth realm, we're dealing with a lot of negativity. And I think that when we're communicating, a lot of the communication that we get that is negative comes from this particular realm. But there are other realms that try to communicate with us. And you can tell by their voice where it's more lilting, it's more sing-song, it just seems to be more pure. It comes from a different type of vibration when they communicate with us. And the cool thing is when we're dealing with this negative realm and they're swearing at us and say, don't communicate with them or shut up you blah, blah, blah. Um, calling me effer or whatever. The cool thing is when we're doing research, what I have managed to do over the years is I realized that, Hey, even though they say they don't want to communicate and they're swearing at me and they're being all negative, they're still communicating. And what I have is the control to just shut off my ITC device and they can't communicate anymore. So I'll just say, hey, keep it up and I'll turn the box off. And guess what happens? The communication cleans right up and they want to communicate just fine. The negative entities just kind of wisp away. So do you think there's a lot of people that would. I've heard this argument before where they're like, well, if you experiment with ITC or EVP, you know, you're inviting things into your home, like that concept. And you're, you like you just said, you can just turn that box off. Do you, do you feel like it does disengage communication or do you think that in your experience, things have sort of come into maybe the more physical realm, like in your home or, you know, your vicinity, the vicinity of where you're at? I'd like to get a key input on this, but my personal input is, once you open the door to communicate with the other side and you let them realize that you want to communicate with them, you want to interface with them, you want to learn from them and um, basically communicate with them to bring it to the world, you can never, ever, ever close that door. Okay. You have no control over closing that door. And when spirit wants to communicate, spirit is going to make itself known. Um you can, things will fall off shelves. Uh, you'll get shadow people, knocks, all of that fun stuff. Um, my wife is a materialist science scientist. <laughs> she doesn't believe in any of this stuff. That's why we make a great couple because, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just the perfect blend between the two of us. And, um, I used to keep one of my, um, devices downstairs because I would just randomly turn it on once in a while when she wasn't, when she was out shopping or whatever, or taking a stroll around the park, I'd turn on a box to do some quick communication and I would leave it downstairs in a desk off to the side room. And on three occasions we came home and the box was running as soon as we opened the door. One to a couple times we were in the living room and the box would just turn on by itself wanting to communicate. And, uh, at that point she just looked at me and said, that thing needs to go upstairs in one of your cases now. (laughs) (laughs) So it does, they are going to find a way to communicate. Uh, I'm not saying that everything's going to be Zozo in possession in in malevolence because it's not, um, there may be, there may be some interfacing with the other side that is less than positive, but it's, you know, 
you open up the door, they're going to communicate. They know you. They know your energetic vibration. They're going to find you no matter where you are. And if they want to communicate, they're going to. And I always, when I give lectures or ghost hunts, and I like to tell people one simple thing. Yeah, it's fun. It's thrilling to go and communicate with the other side. But guess what? You can't shut that door. And there, you're going to inevitably become haunted yourself, which for which in your interest might be something you're completely cool with. But is your significant other cool with it? Are your children cool with it? Are your parents cool with it if they live with you? If you're bringing this stuff home, that stuff that that's something you always need to consider before you get in this field. Because yeah, they will find a way to communicate even when you turn your device off. Keith, do you have anything to add to that? I do. Um, I would say that over time, I've come to learn that it's actually good mental and physical hygiene. And what I mean by that is, since the body, in some regards, is the instrument, uh, it needs to be kept in shape. Since the mind is also part of the instrument, it needs to be um, trained, it needs to be cultivated, it needs to be conditioned. Just like you wouldn't give somebody a car without a license or instructions, say, go drive the car. Right. Some yeah. will drive well, some won't, some will have accidents. So I've come to find that a lot of this work in ITC, it's actually, a lot of it is psychic perception, especially with EVP. And when your mind is hearing these words and phrases, you're actually already extending and opening part of yourself for that communication. I will say that, like I said, I'm very liberal now with what I believe in the world. I believe that spells were real in the past for a reason. And I believe affirmations and prayer and all these different things are forms of mental hygiene. And so at one point I began to pick up um, affirmations that I do somewhat regularly. And I also sort of kind of made vows as to what it was I was trying to accomplish. Those two items seem to have uh, improved and lent itself to better experiences. I will say that one of the factors when people first start working with ITC is um, they can become mentally tired. And so when you reach that point, you listen to that audio file for an hour, two hours, whatever it is, uh, and your body's saying stop, your mind's saying stop, you should probably stop. Now, on the flip side, this is another direction, but Ouija boards. A good example is there is a two sisters that use automatic writing with a Ouija board. They did this over a period of years. Their husband hooked it up to a typewriter, and they channeled information. Not only did they channel information from wherever these people are, they also found out that these people that they were communicating with were themselves in previous incarnations. Oh, trippy. Oh, and nothing, none of it was scary. None of it was, you know, woo-woo. They didn't have things flying off the bookshelves. They, they had a mental hygiene of what it was they were trying to accomplish. They weren't afraid. They followed it through. But see, these are the kinds of things that people don't know about. So right now there's an Amazon collection that nobody knows about. If anybody wants to look up, look it up. It's called Maureen well, uh, Moon Wilcoxon. She's got a whole series. But we don't hear about that kind of stuff. We just hear about what's, you know, a little more scary and entertaining. 
Yeah. So, so there is there is an element of protection. It's just a fact. There is uh, of self isolation, of of a cocoon around yourself, of keeping yourself in a good energetic space to be able to live in this world and still communicate with that world. Because you can go too far. You can get to where nobody knows what the hell you're talking about. It can affect relationships, and it's actually why it's good sometimes to have to be in a relationship with someone who is not into it because then they, they help balance and offset your wackiness. <laughs> <laughs> so if people want to get involved in this, they're totally new to ITC, new to everything. Maybe they're listening to this show and this is opening up their, their minds for the first time ever. What is the best way that someone could just sit down at home and start experimenting? Like, could they just open up their laptop and start recording and just talking into the air? Or do you do you advise that they have some type of, like we were talking earlier, white noise generator? I mean, what, what would be your advice? For what I always recommend for people who are just starting out, everyone, every cell phone out there, you can get a dictation app. Um, basically, it's just going to record your voice. Like mm-hmm. an iPhone comes standard with it. I don't know about other phones. But uh, yeah, just a simple voice recorder. Um, put it down on a table. Ask a, asked focused questions of the other side. So think of a question that you're going to ask. Ask that question. Give at least a minute. Ask the question again. Give at least a minute. Then stop. Ask the same question the next day and the next day and the next day. So build a routine. See, yeah. Let them know that you're communicating with them. Because, yeah, you can sit down and just start um, asking a question, but if you're not focused, you're going to get less communication. Like one of my favorite examples is Sarah Estep. Okay. Sarah, she had read about Constantine Radova and his work in breakthrough. So when she decided to do EVP research, what she did is she, um, she asked a basic question and did this four or five, four days in a row. She recorded nothing. Um, and then she asked the, the question. Then she changed it up on the fifth day and got her first EVP. So one of the things when you are starting out just recording, um, focus on a single question. Just work with it and see if you record anything. When you're getting into it, don't be dismayed. When I first got into um, ghost boxes, which is where I really cut my teeth and uh, basically made a name for myself, is when I first started, I got nothing. But I kept yeah. with it for three months before communication started to flow because I realized that there was something there. And you just have to dedicate yourself to it as we've been hammering this point the entire time. Mm-hmm. Sit down with your phone, put it on a rec- put it on record, record a question or a series of questions but repeat the same questions every day and then listen back listen and pay attention because sometimes those voices come through and they're just barely a whisper but do it in quiet environment so you're not dealing with cats running around or children screaming so if you have to go to a closet or your garage or even in your car go ahead but anybody can do evp Anybody can sit down and start recording. And that is uh, our colleagues, Tom and Lisa Butler. They do what's called the big circle, which might be something for people to get involved with as well, where they have a group of EVP researchers who 
around the world, they try to make contact around the same time with this, with individuals and they're getting great results. It's people like your neighbor next door who've never done EVP before they join the big circle and they're getting contact. It's uh, there's a lot of methods out there, but yeah, anyone can do it at home without major equipment, just your cell phone. That's awesome. I think this is a good time for a plug for the course, Tim. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say, like, how can people, like, <laughs> how can people get involved? What, how, how are gonna be ways that they can support MetaScience and and all the other endeavors that you guys do? Plus, I want to point out that I really want merch bad. I will throw my money at you because oh, yes. I want a MetaScience T-shirt, and I'm looking at that poster of the different levels, um, uh-huh. and I want a poster of that so bad. Well, like, there's a lot of things that we're thinking about for generating. Yes. Um, so, yeah, the poster is yes. one of the things. We're looking at putting a bunch of the newsletters and pamphlets into book form for people to purchase. T-shirts are definitely on the yeah. way. I've got a couple T-shirt makers who are, I've already actually been in contact with. We've got, the, we've got our logo set. Um, and more importantly, there's going to be a fundraiser coming in short order, which is going to be the that's going to generate the funds that we need to spend the money on the server space and the storage space that we're going to need for hundreds of gigabytes of information, which yeah. basically right now uh, the website costs, the server costs, the storage costs are out of our realm we just can't afford to do it out of pocket so there will be a major fundraiser coming and uh keith i know that uh it's been a big thing for you as well um working on this fundraiser we are uh we're trying to get incorporated right now as a not-for-profit so we can before we launch the fundraiser and there's going to be a slew of youtube promo videos there's going to be software that people can donate money to get um there there will be patreon levels things like that there's yeah yeah, fundraising is going to be the critical part because without funds coming in there's going to be no way that we can achieve our vision in any realistic means in the near future yeah i mean people that's a sad fact is people need money to keep this stuff afloat and going it's not because they want to get rich quick. It's yeah, they yeah. need the money for really good reasons. <laughs> so that's, what, that's well, what we have. Go ahead, Tim. To put it in perspective, when MetaScience Foundation was uh, was jumping on all cylinders um, in the early 1980s, his uh, um, operating budget was like $6,000 a month in wow. the early 80s. That's a lot um, then. Yeah, but he also, you know, Meek, he also had engineers working under him developing equipment um research uh yeah he had converted a house in franklin north carolina the entire basement was a giant lab where research was being done regularly and you know pie in the sky long-term research we would love to open up a, a lab space but you know if that probably won't be made manifest for at least a decade. And uh, that is the long-term goal where we can actually do a physical lab slash museum and have, you know, Sarah Eastep's Reel to Reels and Leslie Flint where you can sit down and actually listen to it and do experiments um, in real time, just people walking in off the street. It'll That is the long-term goal. And hopefully if, uh, if visions can be made manifest, that is what's going to happen. That, Definitely, uh, I think they already they already are because <laughs> we yeah. got this far. One day we said, "Okay, let's do preservation." Next day we we're like, "Holy crap! What are we gonna do with all this stuff?" <laughs> and then we're like, "Oh crap! Now that we asked for it, now we have to do something with it." 
but one important point to mention is that it's not just the MetaScience Foundation material. We already have agreements with a couple people, and they've already prepped uh, their websites or their life's work. We just haven't moved forward with it yet because we haven't you know, reached a, a point to where that's something we need to bring back to life. But we're looking forward with a plan of all of this information being readily available past our lifetimes into yeah. the next generation. So that's a lot of data over time. It's, it's certainly a very big dream, but we're, we're noticing that a lot of pieces are coming together. We know a lot of different people with a lot of different skills. Uh, some people have offered things already, and we can see, we just feel like the energy is right. The time is right. I agree. Perfect. Thank you guys for taking some time Ooh. to talk to us about this. This is fantastic. I'm and it's, and it's, 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 so yeah, geeked. it's exciting. Um, of all the stuff that I, I, I've come across, you know, with this show and things that we were kind of, we've been exposed to over the years, meta science and ITC work, I think was something, even when, when Doug was doing this thing with us back in the day, I think it was something that we all, that was one of the topics or areas of study that really stuck out to us. And still does. So it's really exciting to see what's happening with this, guys. And and bravo to you guys for taking all this time. I I know for a fact this is not an easy task to no. do. And you guys are you guys are going full on into the storm with this thing. So uh, kudos to you guys for that, and congratulations. Thank you. I would also like to just take a moment to thank everybody that uh, is you know behind the scenes that does not really get you know the credit most of the time. And that's everybody who's helped us with our past efforts and our current efforts. And that includes, at, at a minimum, Jerry, Jeremy Michael Bloxham, Karen Jarvie. And there are people that worked on the iDigital Medium team that helped uh, create all the databases and things that we have. So it's actually it's an ongoing uh, system of the community. And we, yeah. we, we, we appreciate you. And when we talk about these websites and efforts, we are thinking of you. And we know that. It wouldn't move forward and won't move forward without your help. And, yeah, just to bookend that, um, Jeremy is an integral part of this, but he doesn't like to do interviews or anything. Jeremy is a brilliant researcher who just kind of lives in the background, and, and he doesn't like to have a public face put to him, but Jeremy is one of those, he is a monumental force when it comes to ITC research. And I just cannot state enough how important he is to my personal work, especially with uh, paranormal study, um, social media. A lot of that is Jeremy's work. I know that he's been a driving force that's helped me with ITC voices. He was a driving researcher for iDigital Medium, but he's just one of those guys like many others who just live in the background that hopefully this light's going to shine on them nice and bright as well because a lot of the people who've helped us, they deserve all the accolades because Keith and myself, we're kind of just the face of this, but there is a whole team behind us at this point. And when we start the newsletter, you'll start to see the names in the newsletter of people who are helping us and hopefully a few of those names will become will be quite familiar to you ghostly talk <laughs>